Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. 2 Samuel 23 and verse 1 says, now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse, thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth, by clear shining after rain. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. Guys, underline that, secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall all be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. Wow. God's got this. His covenants are secure. Nobody's going to move it, even these sons of rebellion. But the first thing I noticed when I read this is that David called himself the son of Jesse. The son of Jesse. Do y'all remember Sheba from 2 Samuel 20? He's that guy that called for revolution, got a bunch of guys to follow him. And what he said to them to get him to follow was he said, we have no share in David, nor do we have any inheritance in the son of Jesse. Why was that such an insult? Because Jesse was just this lowly, lowly sheep farmer. Sheep farmers don't have anything. They're like the bottom rung of the, of the ladder. And so Sheba called David the son of Jesse as an insult. We don't have an inheritance in him. You can't get an inheritance from a sheep farmer. They don't have anything at all to inherit from them. And that was Sheba's insult to him. But here in verse 1, David is identified as the son of Jesse, not as an insult, but to show us how far up the Lord had brought him. Says David, the son of Jesse, then it says, thus says the man raised up, where? On high. The Bible's given given us this comparison, look where he was and look where he is now. Womp, like that. (laughs) You look at that and you go like, whoa, he just picked him and shot him up like a rocket. So David went from worst to first. I could probably almost call the message this, worst to first. He went from nothing to everything. Why? Because the Lord chose a lowly man so that he could build him up. Jesus came here as a lowly guy too. He, had, he didn't even have a place to live. 
we now have, from this book, we have two kings to compare to, Saul and David. Saul came from a powerful family. Remember, he came from a big position. David came from almost nothing. Very two different guys. It gives us quite a a comparison. But the Lord demonstrated his covenant power through David, the man who came from nothing, so that all Israel would see that it is God who rules, not men. If the king who is to remain on the throne forever came from a powerful, rich family and came in with all this wealth and all these horses and chariots and all this resource and defeated all the enemy, everybody, you know what everybody would say? Yeah, that came from your money. Your money did that. God brought a guy, David, from nothing so that they would look at him and go, how did he do this? He doesn't have anything to back him up. So then it would force people to see that this has got to be from his God because that's all he's got, right? 1 Corinthians one twenty seven. I want to show you why I've been saved. I want to show you why I'm a pastor. I want to show you why you've been saved. It says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. I've had guys that I've known forever in this town, because I've always lived here, that says, man, I remember how you used to be. How are you doing what you're doing now? That's an invitation for them to listen to my story, because other than that, they don't understand how in the world I'm doing it. And to be honest, I don't either, except for the Lord. That's it. (laughs) I know what's going on, but how I got here, I still don't know. You can't piece that together. But this is why David was God's choice. David. It said he didn't have a good appearance. His, he was kind of messy looking. It, when he was invited to line up with the brothers to see who would be king, uh, or actually he wasn't invited, when they were all standing there to see who was anointed, they didn't even ask David to come. They're like, oh no, he's out there working the sheep. He wasn't even asked to come in. He wasn't even invited. That's how low David was. He was lower than the lowest of the low. And if I could bend over any further, I probably can. He was even lower than that. He was so low. He was nothing. But David was low enough to be this sheep farmer in a culture that saw sheep farmers as the bottom of the heap. And that's why God chose to anoint David as king, to show Israel that he could raise up a lowly sheep farmer to end up ruling the entire nation with a crown on his head with royal authority. How does that happen? It happens by God. Then David's men got the the juice, I could say. And this would shock not just Israel, like, gosh, what's going on with this David guy? He came from what? Son of Jesse? Oh, we're in trouble. That guy has nothing. But he was raised up on high. That would shock Israel, but it would also shock the surrounding nations into asking, who is this God? You feel low? Don't get upset about that. That's when God does his best stuff. It caused the nations to ask, who's the Lord? Now in verse 2, David acknowledged that God had spoken both to him and through him to the nation of Israel. Everybody saw David rise from worst to first. And you got to give Saul a lot of credit because he's the one that made David very public. Because Saul was always running around trying to get him and he couldn't. So David said that a king who rules as an agent of God is like the light of the morning sun without clouds, meaning it's, the rule is so bright, it's so clear, everybody can't help but see it. 
You know when the sun comes in and it like comes right perfect through the blinds and around that curtain that you didn't quite cover the other day and it's like a laser beam and you're in bed and it hits you right on your eye and you could have gotten like two more hours of sleep but that sunbeam puts you right there. You can't help but see it. You're like, golly, I got to be on top of that window next time. (laughs) But David's saying the rule of a good godly rule is as bright like the sun. God put his power on full display through David so that the nations would come to know who God is. And people that are not believing, not paying attention, not praying, not going to church, not reading the Bible, nothing, absolutely nothing, they ought to at least see God in you. You might be all they get. And we got to put it full on display like David's talking about. David's talking about son of Jesse raised up on high. Wow, look at the, the, the journey he has made. God established this fantastic picture of power by his everlasting covenant with David in the Davidic covenant where God made a commitment. It is a secure commitment to rule through David's line forever. But then David said in verse 5, check that out, He said, my house is not so with God, yet he made an everlasting covenant with me. David acknowledged that his family line, his house, has been a real mess. (laughs) The glory of God is going to shine through David's rule. Even though David committed, what, adultery, he committed murder. And that caused his sons to go crazy, and they did their own damage as well. David's saying, my house is a mess. My house is completely jacked. David was confessing his own family's wickedness, but still yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant. David's saying, guys, I shot it. I shot holes in the boat and sank it. My family's a mess. My house is not so with God. And yet he made a covenant with me anyway. God gave me a promise anyhow. Verse 5, ordered and secure, for this is all my salvation and my, all my desire. Ordered and secure. He said salvation and desire. Friends, I have no greater desire than looking forward to eternity with God the salvation I've been given. That is the greatest desire I have of everything. And it is ordered and it is secure. Ordered means it has been planned up to the point when I got it. And it has also been planned past the point I got it on through an eternity. God has established every bit of it. That is my desire, but it is secure. He's saying, look at how messed up I've been, but God put me under covenant anyway. This is my salvation, and it's so good that it's also my desire. Friends, if the Bible doesn't excite you, you're not reading it. Your salvation is your protection. It's your shield, and it should be your desire. My desire is in my salvation. My desire is not in money. My salvation is not in let's get the right guy in office. My desire's not there. It's not in economics. It's in my salvation. David also said that the Lord would, hear me, the Lord would increase it. I feel like I'm a balloon that's about to pop, okay? And he's going to put more air in, and I'm going to go boom. And when I do, (laughs) look out. (laughs) It's going to increase to what? The Bible says you don't have a brain capable of imagining what's coming. 
whoa, that's going to get big. It's going to increase. It's going to get, it only gets better as you go along. Covenant is secure. It is a protective shield because the Lord will uphold his covenant promises. Not one enemy took it down. Oh, they tried. Nobody took it down. The Lord will uphold his covenant promises, even from those that try to take it away from you. I know you look out there and you see people trying to take our promises away, trying to take our peace away, take our joy away. They can't. They can't. And so in 2 Samuel 23, verse 6, David speaks of evil men as sons of rebellion. They shall be as thorns, meaning there's going to be a bunch of them. Thorns are damaging. Thorns injure. Or so they try to, right? They shall be as thorns, but they will be thrust away. They're going to be thrown out with the trash. This means that all of David's enemies... Their attempts to harm David or cut off the covenant would result in them being cast aside. Again, I'm thinking of Absalom. He tried, didn't work. I'm thinking of a lot of guys that tried, didn't work. And guys, typically when thorns are gathered up, they were thrown into the burn pile. David said, they shall utterly be burned with fire. What is this talking about? Fire, a lot of the times in the Bible is an expression of God's wrath, God's judgment against those that will not turn. Me and the men spoke the other day about iniquity. Iniquity is, I'm not changing. I'm sinning, I love it, and I'm not turning. That ends up with fire. That ends up in a condemnation. The fire is the wrath of God. And if anyone dares to try to cut off the covenant of God, then as enemies of God, the Lord will cut them off. Covenant won't be cut. They will. Now, in the next passages here, we will be introduced to three incredible supermen that fought for Israel. These supermen, their names were Josheb, Eleazar, and Shammah, okay? Second Samuel 23 and 8. These guys were totally cool. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Joseph Beth... This is going to be a humdinger today, okay? These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. I'm going to say Josheb, all right? The Tachmanite, chief among the captains. He was called Adino the Esnite because he had killed 800 men at one time. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahoite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel had retreated. He rose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to plunder. <laughs> Goodness. Verse 11, and after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. So the Lord, the Lord brought about a great victory. I mean, what powerful guys, pretty much fighting all by themselves for that matter. Hundreds of guys they took out. So we see the victories that the Lord did through David's men. And why were David's men able to fight like that? Because they were under the covenant power of their king. They got under the covenant power. And so God passed on to them the covenant power because they submitted to the king's authority. 
These are what you would call impossible victories. But these impossible victories are listed to give us an understanding of just how big covenant is. Covenant power is huge. And it was also covenant power exceeded beyond David. It was bigger than just him because it also got into these three men. Friends, if you play the odds, these men should have lost. You stick me in a field with 800 guys, unless the Lord jumps in, I'm probably going down. Several times it says the Lord brought about a great victory. What that tells me is that when you are facing impossible odds while you're trying to serve the Lord, don't base whether you think you're coming out of this or not upon your abilities. It's going to be dependent on what the Lord is able to do. They won the victories by the same covenant power that David had been given. Now, I want you to watch this next story. As strong as these three guys were, I want you to see how the Lord used this next event to empower them even more. 2 Samuel 23 and 13. Then the three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and, and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with, a lo- with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. I'm thinking, okay, let's just imagine you're one of the three mighty men. He said he wants to drink from Bethlehem. Hey, we could pull this off. Let's go. And they go and bust through and they bring some water back and David throws it on the floor. What would you be thinking? Dude, either I'm missing something or or you don't like it or what? We did all that for nothing. Uh, Let's look at what's going on here first. We got to get the picture. First off, observation is the first requirement to understanding the text. You have to observe what's going on. If you don't observe properly all the information you're given, you'll never come up with the right answer. So let's look at what happened. Notice it says that David did not just cry out for any water. If he wanted simply a drink, he could have said, somebody get me some water. Here's you some water. He probably would have drank it. But what he did, he cried out for specific water. He longed for the water that was in Bethlehem. Why specifically Bethlehem? What's so special about Bethlehem water? Does it taste better than other water? So you got to consider where was David from? David was from Bethlehem. Now at the time of this writing, David's rule did not extend into his hometown of Bethlehem because verse 14 says there was a Philistine garrison there. That means the enemy took something away from him. That means the enemy stole from him. You ever have the enemy steal from you? Yeah, and you long to have it back? So you can see that David's hometown was overrun and he longed to drink from the well in Bethlehem, not because he wanted that water, because that water tastes better for some reason, but it was his expression that he longed for the Lord to return to him what the enemy had stolen. 
That's what he wanted. These three guys didn't understand that. Oh, he wants a drink. Let's go get it. And so the men took it that David literally wanted to drink that Bethlehem water. Perhaps they thought David didn't like the taste of uh, Jerusalem water, that hometown water was better. He likes that well. Let's go get it from that well. It must taste better. He really wants it. These three men did not understand that David was longing for the Lord's restoration. Lord, restore back to me what the enemy stole, what the enemy took away. And I think once David poured the water out, I think these three men would have recognized that David was trying to show them a picture, possibly, of Lamentations 2.19. says, Arise, cry out in the night, at the beginning of the watches, pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift your hands towards Him. They're thinking, man, David really wants something bigger than just a drink of water. David's pouring of the water was an outer expression of his lamenting and his prayer, Lord, restore back to me what the enemy took away. And so by pouring it out, David's men would have recognized David's desire, not just for water, but for restoration, and also recognized how they had just been built up by the Lord's power to infiltrate the enemy garrison. I'm sure after David poured out the water, they got together and said to each other, you know, by the Lord, we can fight victory knowing that the Lord has the power to pull down strongholds. That's what a garrison is. It's a stronghold. The Philistines had a stronghold in a place that used to belong to David. And there's a spiritual parallel in this I'm going to get into soon about the enemy building strongholds in places that's supposed to belong to you. Okay? Well, they went in there and took it and restored back what was stolen. Now, the next passage speaks of another three men who fought bravely for Israel. These men are second rank below the first three men that we just read about. 2 Samuel 23 and 18. Now, Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeria was chief of another three. He lifted his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. Was he not the most honored of three? Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand. So he went down to him with a staff, wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. (laughs) That's pretty rough. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did and won a name among three mighty men. He was more honored than the 30, but he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. So anyway, that was our list of second three. The second ranked guys under David that they fought for Israel. And next we have a list known as the 30. Now, be glad you're not me right now is all I got to say. If you look at this list, God help me. I'm not Hebrew. Maybe that's why Eve keeps asking me to take her Hebrew courses. I don't know. Maybe I should. (laughs) Here we go. Loosen up. 2 Samuel 23, 24. Azahel, the brother of... I can't even say brother. Listen to me. Aye, aye, aye. Thank 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.